Hello, how are you doing? I really hope you're good. If you're listening to this on release, then I want to say congrats because we made it through to summer. And also a big thank you for joining me for season two of Who You Don't See, the podcast which celebrates the people behind the stars. In this podcast, we'll be chatting to people you might not have heard of, but who are key to making the magic happen. So in this next series, we'll hear from songwriters, artist managers, and creative directors. If they work with a household name, this podcast exists to give you an insight into their world. I'll be your host, Megan Lawton. I'm a journalist, broadcaster, and generally very nosy person. And in this episode, I chat to backing vocalist Naomi Scarlett. Oh, euphoric. See the thing where she get the audience to like crouch down and we would all crouch down as well for the little breakdown. And then for the last chorus, like everyone would jump up and go mental. Yeah, euphoric, there's there's nothing like it. And like, yeah, I don't know how many people were at that festival, but like, and sometimes it's better not to know the number because I've, I've had gigs I've done before where they've been like, we're doing Ziggett and there's apparently like 175,000 people here. And you're just like, I wish. You had not told me that. From Dua Lipa to Stormzy and Georgia Smith, Naomi has sung with all the big names in British pop. Her energy is so calm, which is just as well because in normal times, her job means she's non-stop on the road, hopping between tour buses, festivals, venues and hotels. We caught up together a few months ago where we spoke about mastering the on-stage sway learning the art of not overpowering an artist and the rituals that go down before an artist heads out on stage. Enjoy. (laughs) Um, No, thank you so much for doing this. Really appreciate it. Thank you for accommodating Um, me. I'm so excited to speak to you. Thank you. Okay, let's dive straight in where we always do. If you and I were to get chatting in a bar and I asked you what you do for work, what would you say? Uh, So I would say that I am a session and backing vocalist um, who primarily goes on tour and does recording sessions for artists. And and I recently started my own business teaching hypnobirthing and antenatal classes. (laughs) What a career. Yeah. (laughs) Bit of a a mishmash, yeah. No, we love the mishmash. So when you tell people that you go around the world with singers as their backing vocalists, what kind of reaction do you get? Um, they're just kind of like, yeah, oh, what's that like? Or because it's because it's something that I think there are a lot of, um, I guess, misconceptions about and like misunderstandings about. But people go like, what's that like? And then you say who you worked with, and they go like, are they nice? <laughs> That's the question the people, question. Yeah, that's the question people always ask me, particularly about um someone like Dua, for example, who's like the top of her game. People go like, Oh, is she nice? Is she nice? And it's like, Well, yeah, she's the best. But it's like people If um, she wasn't, I wouldn't tell you right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But um yeah, people tend to go like, yeah, go down like that train of thought, I think. Yeah. Does anyone ever ask you to sing? Sometimes. <laughs> and I politely decline. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm not performing tonight, but that's yeah. anyway. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I have said that to like people's friends before. Like it tend that tends to happen with people that I'm meeting for the first time who are like friends of friends. Not that that's really happened in a while, like because COVID. But like, yeah, I've definitely had it before where a friend of a friend who I who I don't know from a tree, who I don't know from Adam, will be in like the middle of a bar or a restaurant. They go, 
sing then and I'll be like unless you're paying me I just came here to have a nice time but, but that's yeah, I'm good, <laughs> good yeah I'm good <laughs> so let's talk about how you got into what you do because I guess you had to from a young age have had a beautiful voice because it's not the kind of job you can say I want to be a backing vocalist if you can't sing it's yeah it's it's certainly not like that no so um I I would say that I came to it in a kind of roundabout way in a sense that I didn't always know that I wanted to be a session vocalist and that I didn't go to a music college or a conservatoire or anything like that. I kind of like did it sort of weird way. So when I was younger, uh, sort of early secondary school age, um, I joined I joined the school choir, basically. Um, choir tends to be the kind of gateway for a lot of singers. Um, we we tend to have that in common. So yeah, I joined the school choir, um, and then I joined like a sort of bigger community choir that was made up of kids from um, other schools in the area. I grew up in East London, um, and then I yeah decided to study music GCSE amongst some of my other subjects, music A level. But then I kind of got to um, sort of choosing. Um, I knew I wanted to go to university. I just didn't know where or for what. Some people were trying to persuade me to like go to Guildhall or somewhere like that. Um, but at that point, I'd kind of fallen out of love with singing and performing. Um, it just kind of took a downturn, really. So I went off and studied music business at University of Hertfordshire. Um, didn't really sing all that much in that time. Like you wouldn't have known that I was a singer upon upon meeting me or knowing me during that time. It wasn't really something I showcased all that much. Um, just like focus on my studies and then um, came out of that degree had no idea what I wanted to do with my life I had tried had dipped my toes in and out of working in the music industry like doing various internships in like management I was working at a radio station for a while um, and just various like bits and bobs but I, I wasn't in love with it I didn't really have the the temperament for it I think to be um a manager for example or like on that side of the music industry you have to have a certain degree of um of ruthlessness i suppose um because if you don't you get it's eaten alive throat, isn't it, it, it yeah. can it can be very cutthroat and i i know a lot of managers who are very good people but they have a side where they have to be cutthroat in order to you know get to what get what's best and what's most industry yeah you have to get you have to do what you have do to get what's most um equitable for your artist and um I didn't have the bones for that so yeah I came out with this music business degree not knowing what on earth to do with it so um I was just kind of like okay I'll just take the first job that comes along and just see what happens and weirdly the first job that came along um through an ex-boyfriend actually was um working on a talent show actually um as a PA to the band so this talent show has a has a huge live band and they needed someone to like not babysit but just like just look after them a little Legacy bit. Legacy and their actors. Yeah, 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 exactly. Like, you know, make sure make sure they're fed and they're watered because they're sat on stage for on camera for literal hours. They can't be like, oh, I'm just gonna pop off and get a cup of tea in the middle of someone's, you know, rendition of this song. Like they can't do that. I've got to be that person. So um so I got a job doing that, which was like, okay, this is cool, this is exciting where do I go with this? I'm like living behind a laptop. And then um, as part of that job, we used to hire um, session and backing vocalists to sing background vocals for live shows. We wouldn't hire them in live because um, 
just more bodies on set and like it would cost a load of money and all that stuff so we um hired them and um like trumpet like sax players as well to come in and like pre-record their bits and it'd be like broadcast live along with the live band so I'd be there for those sessions and they came in and they're like the top of their game in this in this um in our industry in our country they came in and like did their thing bashed out their parts sounded incredible got the blend right away and I was just like I think I know what I want to do with my life <laughs> just I want to be with you guys exactly yeah I was like how do I get from here to there doing what you're doing that looks like so much fun um and they and they're all just like legends and like they've got their own families and they like you know leave their houses and Luton to come into London to do this like you know two-hour session and go back home and don't even think about it and it's like you're like that's my dream yes. my dream yes it was it was right there in that moment and that was um like seven years ago maybe eight years ago actually when that first like seed was planted that I knew what I wanted to do um so from there I kind of um a lot of backing vocalists start out singing for people um for free or for low paid gigs um which is what I was fortunate to be able to do because I had like the support and the cushion of my family at that time um a lot of people don't and I'm lucky to be from London as well and have family here whereas a lot of people don't have that luxury yeah exactly it does make a huge difference um because London's a very expensive place to like buy your way into if you're not from here Mm -hmm. Um, I'm sure a lot of creatives are like familiar with that situation like how do I get into that like epicenter you know especially when you're working for free yeah exactly yeah so I was I was very like fortunate in a lot of respects um so yeah I was doing a lot of um gigs for for free and the thing about doing that is if you treat those those opportunities as if there's somebody really, really, really important in the room watching you do it. If you treat it properly, if you're like on time, if you learn the songs, if you treat it as if you're being paid, obviously don't let anyone take the mick out of you, like duh. But like, if you treat it as if you're being paid, somebody is going to see that and then you get hired for the next thing and the next thing and the next thing and then more people hear about you and then I'm still here. <laughs> Your reputation opens doors. Reputation, yeah. exactly, yeah. So yeah, didn't Love go it. to music school, didn't go to conservatoire, I just came yeah came to it I guess relatively late but doesn't matter I'm here (laughs) I always think people come into your life for a reason so maybe the ex-boyfriend his purpose was to get you to that job to be able to visualize your future career exactly (laughs) so you have mentioned one of the you've mentioned one of the stars already that you work with Dua Lipa give us an idea of who else you've worked with since getting into the industry uh so I've worked with Izzy Bizu I was with a band called Hon for a while who were like an electric electronic soul band they were like the first band to take me on tour they were like my first tour bus uh I worked with uh Jordan Rakai who's a like jazz soul artist uh, I've worked with Kylie Minogue um I've God, because it's been such a long time since I've been working like prolifically because COVID it's really hard to like remember everyone I've worked with that's really I'm not being arrogant no I've worked with, <laughs> I've worked with way more people and I can remember uh, Jax Jones Ella Henderson uh oh my god oh yeah yeah I did the Brits with Stormzy last year that was that was so much fun um yeah that was really fun as well um AJ Tracy and Georgia Smith um yeah more will come back to me 
<laughs> no, that is enough to get us started. Yeah. Take me back to the really early days. Was it the band Hon, you said? Hon, yeah. H-O-N-E. Hon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, take me back to your mindset then. Were you kind of cool, calm, collected, like I've got this, or were you kind of freaking out? It was one of those things where, like, there, there are a lot of times in in the creative industries, but particularly in music, where you, I guess in all kind of, like, you know, like job job searching practices I don't know where like you see an opportunity and it takes so so much I think especially as a woman it takes so much not to like psych yourself out of going for it so like somebody so like I had someone I had someone a friend of mine um Crystal who works in like artist management she put out an email like a mass email to all the singers she knew being like there's this newly signed band or like just about to be signed band coming out they need a backing vocalist they're looking for this 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 they have this gig in London can you do it so I was just like oh I don't have anything professionally recorded I don't have any professional photos I have this like one thing I did with one friend on SoundCloud a year ago like is it going to be good enough are they just are they just going to think it's a bit pants um but I yeah, went we list it. the reasons why we shouldn't as opposed yes. to why we should. Yes, exactly. Um, but I went for it um, and I was just like, I'm just going to go for it. This is what I have. I was like, hello, this is what I sound like. This is what I look like. This is who I am. Ta-da! Like that sort of Take thing. me or leave me. Take me or leave me, yeah. And and they, they took you. Yeah, exactly. And like the same, same, same kind of thing happened with Dua as well, to be honest with you. But like, yeah, back then... Um, it was because it was like my first I'd say proper professional gig I think everyone was kind of finding their feet like the boys Andy and James who make up Hon they were still um we were all kind of like figuring things out together like they were still um like figuring out their sound and putting the album together and like um touring is a real learning curve as well in terms of like the logistics especially when you're at a stage where you haven't necessarily got like the resources to hire like the best of the best people to like do all the logistics for you do you know what I mean so it's very much like everyone has more than one role at that point at that stage in the campaign as well so um yeah everyone everyone was just we were all just learning as we went if I'm honest with you and it was it was a lot of fun yeah, it sounds like quite a calm environment to be in, like a welcoming, we're all new here, so let's just go with the flow. It as was, to yeah. yeah. Yeah, and because we didn't, and because there weren't that many of us, like at, at the point where I, um, at the point where I left, there was literally no more than eight of us at a time on this project, like five performers on stage, tour manager, manager sometimes, um, and like, yeah, someone else, and it was... Yeah, very like close knit, tight. Yeah, intimate. Family. Yeah, yeah, very, very intimate. And it's been a long while since, oh, pardon me, since I've um, been on a project that's been like that, like since Dua basically. And it's, um, yeah, I think I was cool, karma collected most of the time. <laughs> <laughs> but as you, um, as you like start out doing these things and you learn about yourself, you very, you very quickly, hopefully, if you're a self aware human being, you start to like weed out the things that you know are going to like trigger you into 
the territory of not being called cool, karma collected. <laughs> so yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. You know your coping mechanisms. Mm. So that was you kind of spoke there about an intimate setting. Yeah. What about when you rock up somewhere that is major and established, and there are loads of people running around on set? Say Dua Lipa. Is that when the nerves will creep in a little bit, and you'll have to like practice those little mantras or whatever it is in your head? Like I'm going to stay cool because I got this. Um. Yeah, certainly, certainly when I first, certainly when you first join a campaign that's that huge, just in terms of like number of people involved. Um, yeah, you have to be like, oh, okay. And I'm, I'm, oh, I'm really bad at names as well. Like my short term memory is just, just non-existent. So like being, being like that kind of person as well, it can make you really self-conscious. Like I don't want that person to, to think I'm rude, but then I don't want them to think I'm weird by like repeating their name back to them three times. Like <laughs> to myself as well. <laughs> please, I just want you to like me. Please don't think I'm a weirdo, you know? Yeah. So. I'm the same as you and I my way out of it is I just call everyone babe babes <laughs> and if I do it to everyone this looks intentional but really I'm like is your name Nancy <laughs> yeah so bad so um but you you very quickly come to find that when you have um no matter how big or small the touring party is if the person or the people at the top are good people it always feels like family so it trickles top down that does yeah that that vibe that's so good to hear and is Jura giving the vibes from the top she is yeah always 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 like she's she just wants everyone to be to be happy comfortable be able to like do their jobs to the best of their ability um and I think that comes from yeah not being a pants person (laughs) yeah what a healthy work environment yeah I want to speak about the unique skill set that you need to have to be a backing vocalist because I guess you've got the voice of an angel that's why you're doing the job but on stage when you're singing with other artists alongside other backing singers you don't want to be detracting from the person whose gig it is how I don't know how do you work that um so it starts with so say you get so say you have a gig and then you have the rehearsals before it so you have your schedule laid out the rehearsal time isn't the time for learning. It's not the time for practicing. That's the time for bringing forth what you've already been doing on your own at home. So ideally, you get sent the songs beforehand. You spend some time with the songs. You um, get to know the songs, like sort of in sort of a sort of like skeleton structure first, and then you start like picking out where the harmonies are. Um, and then ideally, if you know if you already know the singers you're working with, or if you know like at least how many vocalists there are, you can start to pick out. Okay, well, I think I would sit here, and I think this person would sit here. That person, only only guy, would sit there, like that sort of thing. Um, and then getting things like lyrics down, and then certain little um, like flourishes and things. So all of that, ideally, you do on your own at home, and everybody would do that so that when you get into the rehearsal space, everyone has their like base level stuff that they've done. And then it's about like putting it together. And then um, we vocalists, we talk a lot about blend as well. So having the time to like get that vocal blend together, make sure like no one is, like you were saying about detracting, like making sure like no one voice is um, too loud or too quiet. Everyone's like starting and ending the phrases in the same way at the same time as well. so there's such an art form. It really is. It's a very, very unique art form, and not all um, 
not all singers are skilled at everything as well. Like I would say I'm more skilled as a backing vocalist than I am as a lead vocalist. Whereas there are a lot of like lead vocalists who um, are not skilled as backing vocalists because their voice is so unique that it doesn't um, lend itself very well to blend. Um, And then there are unicorns that can do everything. (laughs) (laughs) There the holy un- ones yeah exactly the holy ones the yeah the unicorns are, that are very skilled at everything so it's a lot about being able to blend being able to listen um and then a lot of the time especially on a big project or a big budget project there'll be rehearsals happening like before the artist is even present so yeah the backing vocalists have got their thing going on the band have got their thing going on they've got it going on together and it sounds amazing but then you've got to account for how things could change slightly when the artist is in the room because then they might decide like oh I actually don't want you guys to sing that bit or can you sing that bit with me I need a bit more backup or um like let's just leave it alone altogether because like they're doing their own thing so um yeah it's just constantly being able to be um adaptable as well which is a challenge for someone with short-term memory issues but I (laughs) I have a little notebook that I take with me to rehearsals for writing down those changes so I can like practice them at home it's not as bad as I'm making out like honestly I'm no I I love this you don't have to worry (laughs) about it but like yeah and then also um and then also, yeah, in terms of yourself, like me knowing that I, I sometimes like don't always remember those like short changes right away, like knowing, okay, I must remember to take my notepad with me because I don't really like typing on my phone when I'm in rehearsals. It looks like I'm on Instagram. So um, like I write things down in my notebook and then I look back at them again. So like, yeah, also knowing where your um, strengths and weaknesses are as well and how to like sort of circumvent those for the good of the performance and the good of the artist. It's so Very interesting. <laughs> <laughs> I'm imagining um, when you get your kind of, I used to do drama and you used to get like the script and like highlight your lines. Are you doing that with like, oh, on this bit, I'm there on that lyric? <laughs> yeah, back, back when I used to like use loads of paper, I used to like print things out a lot and do the highlighting thing. But then I was just like, oh, what about the environment? Um, so now I try That's and so do it. Yeah, exactly. So now I try and do as much as I can. Um, and I also find that writing things out by hand, like writing chorus lyrics out by hand does help me remember them better as well so I do I do like my own version of that basically is it important that you like the music you're working on um I'd say it is yeah um I've been very lucky in a sense that I've never worked on a project where I don't like the music or I don't like the song um because it would start to grate on you if you already started the project not liking it and then every day had to sing that song you'd be like for fuck's sake yeah you know it would it would be really annoying wouldn't it um yeah I've been as I say I've been very lucky in a sense I've yeah I've I've always some like liked the music and it doesn't take a lot for a song to um grow on me as well if I feel quite like neutral about it at first so yeah quite lucky in that respect I think don't start now is probably one of my favorite songs ever so to be going around <laughs> the world singing that song you are living my best life for me <laughs> it's, it's funny you say that about don't start now because it's had so many different like just from Dua alone it's it's existed in so many different ways like we've done it with a full like 20 piece orchestra we've done it like stripped back with just a piano we've done it on Graham Norton we've done it um, we've done so many different versions of it over this With last James Corden when you did it over Zoom that was yeah really yeah exactly that was really fun um yeah that's I think that's a sign of like a really well-written song when it can exist in so many different forms 
And the, I like the, uh, I know you probably wouldn't have had anything to do with this, the purple disco remix, like it works on the dance floor as well. Oh, okay. I've not heard <laughs> yeah. that. I need to give that a listen. <laughs> um, I want to speak to you a bit about choreography because I've watched lots of videos of you up there on stage and you don't just stand there, you're singing, you're bopping, you're swaying. Where does that, you kind of put your head in your hands there. What's that about? <laughs> it's because the word choreography just makes me come out in hives because I'm... <laughs> I no, I am I am not a natural born choreographed dancer. Um whenever I see the words choreography or movement rehearsal or anything in a schedule, I really I have to like bring myself back from yeah. the brink of like nicotine and tonic. Yeah, exactly. Just like just calm down, it's fine. No, they won't give you anything you can't handle. No, it just in terms of like choreography choreography um like stuff that isn't like two-stepping and swaying it does take me a long while like my excuse is that I didn't grow up dancing um but also yeah it's just like the memory thing as well but um (laughs) (laughs) but in terms of like the more sort of um the stuff you tend to see more from a vocalist like you say like swaying stepping and all that stuff um I feel like it's what most of us just kind of grew up seeing. Yeah. Like whenever we'd watch um, Top of the Pops or Jules Holland or like even anything um, or Graham Norton, Jonathan Ross, anything older than that, it's what you saw like all the greats doing, you know. We've just... A few clicks in there as well. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's 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 timeless. And then, but then, um, and then it's also kind of following a little bit like what the artist naturally does as well. So it doesn't... Um, stick out like a sore thumb one artist <laughs> who I'd say at the moment is killing it in the sort of like performing and movement thing is uh, if you watch Jessie Ware's most recent performances no. um, uh, I think she did Graham Norton a few weeks ago and um she had two backing vocalists and I think a dancer as well it's very like very big like very like very soul, very 60s, like really, really cool. Arm swinging. Yeah, exactly. I think that's a good, I think that's a good sort of middle ground between sort of stereotypical backing vocalist movement and choreography. So. Will a choreographer, when they're kind of doing the whole, they're looking after the actual dancers, they're looking after duo, will they have a quick web with you guys? Like if you could just kind of, I don't know, two-step double time <laughs> whilst time. doing like a little hip hop. Yeah. yeah, if there's time, yeah, definitely, definitely they will. Like most choreographers that I've come across want it to look like, I mean, it's in the best interest of everyone really for yeah. it to look like a full cohesive um, package. And I kind of see it as like, if the choreographer doesn't come up to you to tell you how to move, then you're doing you're doing all right. <laughs> yeah, no news is good news. No news is good news, yeah, exactly. <laughs> what about outfits? Because I've also seen pictures of you wearing some very jazzy outfits. Sometimes it's I feel like someone's told you guys to wear all black. Other times it's like, no, we're going to have you in these jazzy sequin trousers mm. and a little crop top. Yeah. How, how... <laughs> so... I'd say as a rule of thumb, in the absence of a stylist or someone who's like overseeing your overall look, um, all black does tend to be um, the kind of backing vocalist, session musician uniform, I'd say. You've probably gathered as much. Um, It's kind of, it's just kind of like an unspoken thing, I suppose. But then you get, uh, you get a stylist involved in the mix and it becomes like way more, um, way more interesting. Dua do has a stylist, Lorenzo, who's um, just amazing, lovely. Um, and um, yeah, no two, no two days are the same. No two gigs are the same. <laughs> 
<laughs> have you ever maybe not hated an outfit but it's like bridesmaids isn't it so like one person will look absolutely insane in one outfit and that outfit wouldn't look great on the rest of you and there will be days where certain outfits are suited to certain people have you ever thought great I'm on stage in front of I don't know like 40,000 people wearing an outfit that I probably wouldn't pick for myself um yeah I'd say that I'd say that's definitely happened at varying points for everyone like you say like everyone has different um different body types different shapes heights you know I feel like I have like a really short torso so like sometimes things don't really I like, do yeah so um so yeah that does happen sometimes but um when you but I think there's something to be said for looking like looking like as a unit together like quite strong and I do also think it is sometimes in the way you like carry yourself as well and like having having that inner confidence of like this isn't something I would normally wear but I look banging so what (laughs) yeah yeah look good (laughs) you always the pictures I've seen you all look banging so it's all good thank you (laughs) before I started doing this podcast I think I would have assumed tours could be quite rock and roll and sort of full of alcohol and after parties I'm getting the impression from everyone I speak to that that is unsustainable and I guess for someone like you your voice is your tool and if you're getting absolutely sloshed every night your tool is not going to be with you for that long um yeah exactly right yeah it's it's nowhere it's nowhere near the rock and roll um style stories of like excess that you used to hear about from like I don't know the 80s or 90s um certainly not in the circles that I've moved in anyway um yeah it's way more chill it's way more um I think the thing that may have changed it other than more of like an awareness of how um how important your health is in order to like sustain your longevity for touring and your career overall um the internet If you, um, you know, if you're going to be, if you're going to be a dick, if you're going to be, you know, just a bit of a nuisance and, you know, not looking after yourself, it's going to end up on the internet and you're going to look yeah. like twat and you won't get employed again. So yeah, you're going to be on the sidebar of shame yeah. or something. Like exactly. That. <laughs> yeah. And also what I was saying about um, like reputation as well, that's also the kind of thing that does that is the kind of news that travels fast. Like everyone knows everyone. It's a very incestuous industry. And if if a manager or a musical director or an artist even is sat thinking like, oh, I quite like the, the, the look or the sound of this person. I want to take them on tour. All it takes is one person to go, oh, I toured with that person two years ago. Mm, I wouldn't say so. So, and yeah, then like- The door's closed on yeah, you. exactly. And you don't even know it because of something that, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. So you've never trashed a hotel room? I have not. And I have no <laughs> I have no plan to. <laughs> <laughs> Who tour has been the wildest that you've been on? Or is it towards the end of a tour? Um in touring we have a thing called Roadie Friday. So that is any um not all tours do, I don't think, but certainly ones I've been on. We have what's called Roadie Friday, which is where um is any day in the week where there isn't a gig the day after. So that tends to be the day where everyone gets like a little bit wilder, has like one or two more drinks. But honestly, like I, I can't think to any particularly wild experience that I've been party to. And even if I could, I wouldn't be able to tell you. But um like yeah, I don't know. I think I, I think I seem to have gravitated towards artists who just aren't on that wave, really. 
which is quite nice because I'm not on that way yeah I don't know if we've had a bit of like a societal shift but even so like we've obviously been in lockdown yesterday was April 12th when like we're allowed out again every night to bars and restaurants if we want to I have got like two plans this week I'm like that's enough for me like I I haven't got the stamina to be going out every night so I guess if you're on the road for six months sleeping sometimes in a tour bus or whatever you don't want to be waking up hungover no you really don't a tour bus is not the place to wake up hungover have you ever (laughs) um like once or twice but not yeah not more than that I prefer to wake up in a hotel room hungover but even then like (laughs) a bit more space to like stretch out but yeah no even even then like really not all that much it's weird though that because of COVID and having not been on tour for like well over a year now it almost feels like I'm talking about a previous life yes I have to like work hard to like recall it no, I feel you. It's like when did I ever live in a time where I didn't wear a mask to the shop? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> um, when you're on stage, I think this is a silly question. I know the answer, but are you enjoying the gig or are you in your head so much like, oh God, okay, we made that change, that tweak to the vocal on this part, and I need to be like in the game, or do you just relax and the music's playing and the vibes are going? Uh, I'd say it's about 80 20, 80% fully enjoying it in the moment, 20%. Um, thinking about thinking about what's next thinking about um yeah not necessarily not necessarily like changes that have been made because especially if you're working for a bigger a bigger budget artist the rehearsal process is very long so there's quite a lot of time for those changes to have been made and been implemented before it even reaches the stage so not so much thinking about that, but just more thinking about like, okay, what's next and how much every stage that you get on is different as well. So you have like a different amount of space. There's like different staging, how you get onto the stage might be different. So there's like all that to think about as well. So I'd say, I'd say about 80, 20, maybe I need to like get out of my head just a little bit more. I have a gin, always does it for me. <laughs> <laughs> it dries out my voice. Okay, I can have, have one after. <laughs> Yeah, have, an, have a post, Jin. <laughs> Give me an idea, a little insight into your mind in the few minutes before the, the gig is about to begin every night and maybe like, I don't know, I just kind of romanticise and fantasise about backstage just being this like absolute buzz of, I don't know, anticipation and excitement and nerves. Is it like that? It is like that. Yeah, it really is. Like, And everyone, every, every artist, every tour, every group has their own different um, rituals as well before going on stage so we do like almost everyone I've been on the road with tends to um just have like a few moments on their own to do what they need to do like I'll take some time to breathe maybe like do some stretching or whatever and then you know literally the very last minute before we go on stage we take some time to like connect together and like look each other in the eye like you're gonna fucking boss this you're gonna be great um and then we and then we all go on and do it because like yeah it's important to have that to have that connection you know that like we're in this together like this is this is a good thing that we're doing so um yeah for sure you're a team Dua Lipa's name might be on the billboard but ultimately she's Dua Lipa with her band and everybody else in that production yeah exactly no matter how talented anybody is we will all have good days at work but also bad days at work what will a bad day at work look like for you um well, it helps. I love what I do. Um, a lot of people don't have that luxury. So it helps. that I love it. So there are very rarely um, bad days, but a bad day would be like, um, 
I don't know, sometimes you get really homesick and you're really far away and you're like, I remember once a couple of years ago, we had, we had a show in Jakarta, Indonesia, and it was already like a good 22 hour trek from door to door to get home. But like our flight was delayed like three times and then we had to go to like different, and I was just like, just I'm trying my bed. Yeah. Just, I was just like, I just want to get home. I just want to, um, so like that felt like a very, it's very rare that things feel never ending in a job that you love, but that, that particularly was yeah so like yeah sometimes homesickness and then sometimes um you know it can be very easy to feel um burnt out or touched out or like you're around too many people um and I think that's going to be like at a point where we are able to like tour again I think that's going to be a hard adjustment for a lot of people including myself because we've been so secluded from each other so um yeah, I, I don't think there are any bad days, but um, yeah, I don't know. You're blessed then, you're very blessed. <laughs> what kind of things will artists or maybe artist management put into place to ensure you're not burnt out? Is it things like yoga or making sure that the catering in places is really healthy? How Because you're on the road for a long time, you're jumping from time zone to time zone. Every night you give a physical performance, it's mm. late nights how do you what keeps you on track um i think i think not doing as many back to back to back shows um really does help just having at least one or two days in between shows to rest recuperate get some fresh air or stay in your bed and watch netflix um <laughs> <laughs> i um i think is really going to help and then i think also um just better access and awareness to um like mental health help and um just generally someone to talk to as well I think would be um a really good idea but um yeah I don't know because because we've not because the idea of being able to go on tour I think depending on the artist you're with it is still quite like an abstract concept I think it's just one of those things where like time will tell and the proof will kind of be in the pudding in terms of what artists and management and tour managers do in order to ensure like the well-being of the people on the road um because it can be yeah it can be quite mentally mentally taxing particularly with the um the time zones and the lack of sleep and um late nights early mornings like that sort of thing so um yeah I hope that there's a better provision and awareness for mental health of touring people for sure, because the expectation every night is like in your industry, you can't really have a, a, a down day at work. It's just like every night we've got to be delivering 11 out of 10. Every night there's a new load of people in the crowd who want to see you and Dua and whoever else at their best. Yeah, exactly. So you've spoken that you don't have a bad day at work, which is very refreshing to hear. What does a particularly good day at work look like? I saw one video that you posted on your Instagram and it was from the perspective of everybody performing on stage looking out over the crowd probably at a festival I'm shit at estimating numbers but I feel like there was about a hundred thousand people in front of you just jumping up and down like very few people will experience what that feels like how yeah. does that feel oh euphoric like honestly euphoric I think I know what clip you're talking about that was um I think that was like the end of new rules 
and like yes. you see this thing where she get the audience to like crouch down and we would all crouch down as well for the little breakdown and then for the last chorus like everyone would jump up and go mental um yeah that clip gets circulated every year when it's new rules birthday but um <laughs> <laughs> happy birthday has a birthday um yeah euphoric there's there's nothing like it and like it's yeah I don't know how many people were at that festival but like and sometimes it's better not to know the number because I've I've had gigs I've done before where they've been like oh we're doing um oh what's the festival in Hungary Ziget oh, yeah. oh we're, we're doing Ziget and there's apparently like 175,000 people here and you're just like I wish you had not told me that because now I'm just like (laughs) (laughs) no but um yeah it's honestly euphoric and it like reaffirms um why you do it it's just so much fun like I love it it. I got shivers watching that clip (laughs) honestly I I can't wait to to get back to it yeah, and we can't wait to have you lot on stage. <laughs> I think everyone's just going to be crying their eyes out. Oh, my God, yeah. That August bank holiday looks very overbooked. Like, <laughs> people really for choice of their festival and gig plan. Do you feel when you're up on stage, do you feel free kind of, I guess, just then you said that there could be like 170,000 people in the crowd. You've got to let go because if you thought, oh, my goodness, they could be judging me, that's going to hold back you sort of physically but it's going to hold back your voice as well have you learned over the years just let go and enjoy it yeah I think so it's still a process um definitely still a process but um yeah I think I've I think I've got to a good place might need to rebuild it a little bit once we're back in full swing but um yeah certainly I think I have yeah if you look back over all the gigs you've done, all the tours you've done, you mentioned doing, was it Stormzy at the Brits? Is there one, could you pick a, a cherry on top of an amazing career of work of gigs that you've done as like, that was my favourite day at work, that was the best gig or whatever I've ever done? Um, Like, I'd say the majority of the stuff that I've done with Dua, certainly, especially like some bits and pieces that we've done um, recently. But um, I'd say... I'd say some of my work with Jordan Rakai has been the stuff that I've been the most proud of from a sort of um, musical point of view. Because um, Jordan, whenever he hires backing, backing vocalists, he hires like four minimum, which is like such, such a treat. Like the more voices you have in the room, the more like harmonies and textures you can explore. And he's very, because he, because he writes like jazz and soul music he's very like open to to that as well he wants everything to be as like wide and expansive and as like luxurious as possible um so I say a lot of the work I've done with with Jordan Rakai has been the stuff I'm proudest of because it's it's very rare actually in pop music that you get to really explore um harmony for all that it can be um so yeah I'd say I'd say Jordan and if we think about future gigs, future, maybe not even gigs, artists you'd like to work with, is there anybody who think one day I'm going to manifest it, I'm going to get a spot on their tour bus? Uh, I'd love to work with Take That or Gary Barlow. Uh, yeah. Like, just <laughs> legend. Um, <laughs> if George Michael was still alive, I'd have loved to tour with George Michael. Um, 
And then actually, I, I really want to work with at least one American artist. Um, I had Justin Timberlake on my manifesting list for a while, and I've not done it yet. But I don't know if you remember a few years ago, um, he did the Brits and he had like a huge choir and some of my friends mm. in that choir. And I was just like, okay, that wasn't me, but that means it's not impossible. Because like, look, no, that could be you. Stage. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, legends, basically legends. Okay. Legends only now. Yeah. You've got to the stage in your career where you can only work with legends. Yeah, <laughs> I'd love to work with Robbie Williams. A legend for sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, thank you so much, Naomi, for talking with me. I genuinely am fascinated by your industry and just the craft of what you do. So thank you. I so appreciate thank it. Thank you, Megan. Thank you. We always end the podcast with a bit of wisdom, some wise words you've been given maybe with someone you've worked with, an artist you've done vocals for, that you just think, yeah, those words help me and I want to share them with other people. Yeah, I was I was thinking about this because it's because most of the artists that I've met, they don't they don't like give advice in that way. It's really weird. It's especially especially when you work with um with pop artists as well. They they hold they hold us and what we do actually in like very high regard and a lot of time they feel like we're like imparting to them and it's like no we love you they're like no I love you no I love you no I love you <laughs> the feeling so is mutual <laughs> yeah so it's very rare it's very rare that in a sort of artist session session um musician relationship that there's like that transference of like advice kind of thing but I I would say just from what I've learned from like other musicians I've worked with over the years um I'd say um just in terms like if there's anyone like up and coming wanting to do what I do watching this um just have like a laser focus and anything that isn't in that laser focus isn't in that vision let it go if you can if you're able to just let it go um and yeah be the best version of yourself be open to opportunities um manifest the fuck out of it (laughs) i love that yeah when i first knew i wanted to do this i was like okay i i need to like see this in my mind's eye otherwise it ain't gonna happen um be on time be nice but don't let anyone take the piss out of you um don't um and also like tomorrow isn't promised so just 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 do that thing just do it so yeah Naomi's commandments I love it (laughs) (laughs) I'm gonna let me just get my notepad (laughs) tomorrow isn't promised just do it yeah (laughs) the Nike collaboration yeah yeah thank you so so much for chatting with me I cannot wait to see you and the gang back on stage at some point even if it's just via your Instagram (laughs) thank you so much lovely talking to you Thank you so much to the gorgeous Naomi for having a chat. If you want to keep up with her work and very soulful voice, you can find her on Insta at the Naomi Scarlet Letter. If you're still listening, thank you. I really hope that means you liked what you heard. If you did, you can make my day by liking, sharing and subscribing to Who You Don't See on your usual podcast app. 
You can also pay us a visit next week when our guest is the multi-talented songwriter and musician Dan Kaplan. He's worked with a whole load of artists, including Rudimental and Stormzy. See you then.